Hello and welcome to the Recovering from Religion podcast. Our mission here is to offer hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. What follows is the audio from selected videos posted on Recovering from Religion's YouTube channel. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Allow me, folks, to introduce you to this the, this fantastic guest we have. He's the, been here um, three other times, which means that this is the fourth time he's been a guest here at RFRX. As an educator and a trainer for health professionals and other professionals, David Teachout has also, also has a private practice helping adults and couples with learning resiliency skills related to relationship difficulties and trauma. He maintains a podcast, which I encourage you to check out, called Humanities Values and a blog related to mental health topics. David has worked in the mental health care for 15 years, and he holds a master's in both forensic and counseling psychology. I'm going to have to ask him what forensic psychology is in a minute, as well as currently working towards a, a PsyD, a, a PSYD in clinical psychology. Boy, I'm on par tonight. He also works in community mental health, social work, criminal justice, elder care, and child advocacy. David, welcome once again to the show. I'm so glad you're here this evening. Thank you. Now I'm laughing at a comment. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the comment I see it too is uh, they should call it teach outs, reach out. That's <laughs> I'm really glad that you're not called, uh, your last name isn't Teach Around or something like that. That would be uh, I mean, tough. you know, you know, like I said, get consent and there it is. So um, David, what is, uh, real quick, what is forensic psychology? <laughs> so forensic psychology is the intersection of law and psychology. So um, show, you know, most people know it from shows like, um, you know, originally X-Files, but now like NCIS and um, others. Um, unfortunately, we do not gallivant around the country on private Cessnas uh, with gorgeous people. Oh. Um, but uh, alas, unfortunately. Um, this is like but, profiling uh, criminals. Uh, yeah, it's really not. Profiling folks. <laughs> Most yeah. of forensic psychology has to do with a lot of paperwork. Um, and the vast majority of people who are in the field do, uh, you know, court assessments for, you know, uh, uh, for you know, child welfare, um, court assessments for, you know, criminality and that kind of thing. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah not, not as prestigious, it? but a lot, a lot of fun. <laughs> so you're not hanging out with uh, Mandy Patinkin or anything like that. I wish. Long. No, no, oh my gosh, that would be, yeah, yeah, and, and what's his name? Uh, he ended up getting his own show as a yeah. cop, and the man's gorgeous. Anyway. What is yeah. a, a PsyD? I think I'm saying this totally wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, doctorates uh, come as PhDs or PsyDs, and they have to do with the type of dissertation that you do, and so sci doctorates tend to um, are more engaged in um, like high hands-on research and mm -hmm. societies typically, not always, but typically are more engaged in reflective research. So you're looking at a lot of the extant research that's been done and then doing a okay. massive meta-study on it. Um, so yeah, it's- uh, Got it. 
there's really not a whole lot of difference. <laughs> really, it just depends <laughs> on the program that you're in. So yeah, they, they still call you doctor at the end, right? <laughs> uh, you will call me Doctor D. Um, I have enough debt that I deserve to be called that. <laughs> I will call you Big Doctor D. How about that? <laughs> I like that so much better. <laughs> so. There it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, um, I would love to just kind of hang out with you and shoot the shit because I think we have a lot in common. But yeah. what are we here to really talk about tonight? Uh, we are here and uh, we, can <laughs> we can actually take a look at the polls here real quick uh, if we want. Um, and I will actually get to a comment that was in the chat. I will not refer to the person's name again. Because I learned my lesson a couple of times ago. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> but uh, do you want me so to share we'll the results? Do... Is that what you asked? Yeah. Did we? Oh, yeah. Oh, awesome. Here we go. Yeah. So <laughs> this was fun. So when was the last time you recognized you were wrong about something? Um, awesome about today. In fact, everybody who took this quiz and answered the last question uh, should be saying yes to today. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Um, and what was wait? The, you're uh, saying yeah. that we all, every day we acknowledge that we were wrong about something? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we we should okay. as a daily right. practice. We should be oh, acknowledging okay, okay, we're okay, wrong okay, about okay. something. Um, when do feelings point us in the direction of being right? Sometimes, um, now there really wasn't a right answer here, other than you know. Uh, always. <laughs> I'm glad zero people picked that. That was awesome. Um, and you can tell you're right if you're standing for the right thing by noting who is standing against you. It depends. Thank you for the plurality there. Um, that, was, that was fun. Um, and then, of course, the last one, as somebody noted in the chat about um, did not like the answers um, choices for number four, absolutism is a helpful structure for. Um, so thank you actually, Eric, for, for setting this up because <laughs> the correct answer really is none of the above. Um, and we'll go into that here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, are you, at, are you so, saying yeah, like whoever, whoever put this together is an asshole for this question? Because it was a trick Well, question. I mean, considering it was a mutual project, uh, we will own it together. That's all. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so I'm happy to be uh, wrong yeah. about this question. <laughs> uh, you know, it's good. Uh, so, and it's absolutism that actually we are going to be talking about in particular as it pertains to dialogue. Um, and speaking of dialogue, I do not have a PowerPoint. Um, I actually stopped doing that after the first time uh, that I gave a presentation because frankly, I love this. Uh, I love the give and take. Um, Obviously, there are a lot of questions that'll be, you know, saved for the end, and then, of course, uh, there are, I will be staying on for the, you know, non-recorded kind of just chat afterwards because it's a lot of meeting people and chatting. Um, but uh, really, if there is a question on occasion that I happen to see uh, that's like, oh my gosh, that's yes, that pertains exactly to what I'm going through right mm -hmm. here, um, you know, I might say something. Um, otherwise, you know, Eric and Kara um, can, you know, pipe in and go, wait a minute, you know, let's clarify. Um, so really as much of a give and take as possible is just love it. So. Perfect. Um, uh, David, let's start off by setting, setting kind of the premise for this conversation. Mm -hmm. When you first approached me about this topic, um, I really 
uh, got it immediately. And um, uh, it was like, yes, this is just, uh, this, this will be a fantastic one. This fits perfectly in, into RFRX. So um, just let's start off with the premise, uh, gray conversations. Um, what, what do you kind of mean by that? So what I mean by it is really that <laughs> combination of a couple of the poll questions, no surprise, they were a setup um, for, this, <laughs> for this discussion. And it has to do with quite often upon leaving fundamentalism of any kind, uh, we, you know, most people here probably can remember that initial couple of years after having left religion in which we were all extraordinarily pissed off and really wanting to stick it to whatever mm -hmm. embodiment of the man um, we could, you know, find. And as a consequence, uh, likely, and I totally will include myself in this, uh, were various levels of asshole. And it's really, you know, it, it's an understandable reaction, um, but as well, what often ends up happening is we take the psychology of fundamentalism and bring it out of the religious structure and into the secular world and do one of two things. Uh, one, we will find uh, a alternative. So everybody probably is probably aware of the quote unquote atheist who has fallen for any number of conspiracy theories to belonging to various religious um, other types of, or it's not religious, it's spiritual, uh, you know, things that are fall prey to a lot of various levels of absurdity. Um, who may find themselves drawn to extreme political groups uh, and so on. And then find, you know, and then we'll see, oh my gosh, you're as much a proselytizer now for this new thing yes. as you ever were. In fact, in fact, in some ways, almost more so now than you were as a believer. And part of what then, you know, is seeing here is one, this is, you know, ultimately we'll see this as a natural, you know, thing that occurs, um, that it is a tendency we all have that we can actively seek to limit. Uh, and then of course, this gets into the great conversations piece, which is really approaching every conversation from the gray area of, guess what? Literally every moment of every day, we are all wrong about something in part or in whole. And if we haven't figured it out yet, don't worry, it's gonna show up uh, if we just ask enough questions. And that's true of ourselves and literally the next person in front of us. And one of the things, one of the points actually that I'll say here and end on um, is that our dialogue and our dedication to study is contrary to popular belief, not actually about finding truth. Um, oh. it really is about finding consistency and, uh, it doesn't mean that truth doesn't matter. I'm not a relativist. Um, it just means that when we're at the, at the level of psychology, the level of what our biology is wanting us to do, it's really far less interested in tr t truth, capital T or finding the truth of the matter than it is about making sense within the world that has already been constructed. And which is why we got brought into religion in the first place and why we get sucked into other groups later on. Yeah, 
that's, it was go ahead, oh, Karen. Sorry. yeah that's really interesting i like how you put that it's almost like you know coming out of religion people reject the specific belief but maybe don't reevaluate the way that they think about things in general which leaves them susceptible to to falling for something similar just packaged mm -hmm. differently would you is that right absolutely well and in fact one of the one of the criticisms that many of us likely have had of believers about whatever stripe is that many believe for for reasons that are non-philosophical non-reasoned uh, um as a caveat i will note that there are perfectly reasonable you know rationales um i just don't think that they are probabilistically accurate um but there are some really good arguments uh, for the various, you know, uh, for theism in a general sense. And I just don't think they ultimately work. But there's some really good ones out there, but generally people don't fall into that camp. You know, generally people aren't delving into the, you know, the minutia of epistemic principles and everything else. Mm -hmm. Instead it's, well, I was raised this way, or, you know, I just, I just do, uh, or it's faith, uh, which frankly is just an extension of ego. Um, you know, and it's, you, you get into this and then it's a little wonder then that they leave for often equally, uh, unsubstantiated reasons. And then later on, they find themselves, you know, falling into another thing because really it was never principle led. It was circumstantial. Uh, and so if circumstances led you into one, circumstances are just going to lead you into another and yeah, principles were never really conducted. And it's not a judgment per se. Yeah, I know it sounds like that, and I apologize. It's not really that. It's a recognition that most of us, myself included, I'm sure, on any number of things, um, is you know interested in, again, that kind of continuity, you know, establishing a consistent way of figuring out how the world works and then acting within it. And we're just not really all that interested in, you know, one, <laughs> figuring out how wrong we are quite often because being wrong sucks. So let's just, you know, call it out. Yeah. It sounds a little bit like this is uh, touching on some, uh, what's known as black and white thinking. Yep. In, yeah. And it's, but that is so addictive and so attractive to have just two clear options in life. I mean, why muddy the waters by making, uh, making, a spectrum of, of of choices in between. I mean, come on, you're you're popping all of our bubbles here because just keep it black and white. <laughs> you know, I I, I had uh, somebody once who said that I was uh, uh, killing their bunny rabbits, which I thought was extraordinarily <laughs> bloody and brutal uh, as a metaphor. But wow, because I like bunnies. Um, you know, they give me candy on Easter, so. Um, but I mean, that, uh that yeah lucky that lucky <laughs> rabbit's foot isn't too lucky for the rabbit i guess <laughs> it is not it is not well and it's you know it's something um so i actually wanted i came across um so john faithful hammer uh one m and hammer on facebook um just a fabulous person to, to follow and and he's got a lot of good good stuff to you know kind of get the thoughts churning on, at times um but he actually wrote similar to this topic, you know, a week ago. I was like, perfect timing. Mm -hmm. um, but he quotes uh, actually Aaron Haspel, uh, philosopher, 
He said, one certainty is often exchanged for another. Doubt for certainty occasionally. Certainty for doubt almost never. And in reflecting on a friend of his, you know, he reflected on, you know, her name is scrawled in red ink next to this aphorism, my copy of everything. She was and probably still is a clear example of someone who goes through life exchanging one certainty for another. Someone who's extremely evangelical, whether, you know, she happens to be into at the moment, you know, veganism, going organic, skateboarding, new atheism, chemtrails, you know, it's all these things. You know, like she would preach and proselytize incessantly, just as she probably preached and proselytized incessantly with her parents when she was a kid. Everyone had to be whatever she liked. What's more, highly prone to demonization. People who didn't share her enthusiasms were just boring. They were evil. Last, she had transcended Christian theology, but had not transcended Christian psychology. We've witnessed oh the same gosh. pattern countless times. Siri decided to talk to me. Um, witnessed the same pattern countless times, and it's led me to suspect that religion doesn't have much to do with believing or ceasing to believe in a metaphysical proposition like God. Religion shapes how you think and believe far more than what you think and believe. Getting rid of the idea of heaven doesn't necessarily rid us of the longing for a painless paradise. And it, it. that's good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would substitute pain, painless paradise there for just plain certainty. You know, we, we, we get rid of one and we want to replace it because, yeah, uncertainty sucks. I could see that in myself too. Um, coming out of religion, I got excited about a lot of other different um, belief systems and even a lot of other things. Like even in that um, that uh, little blurb you read, talked about veganism or you know not like that's bad or anything, but the way mm -hmm. she was presenting it to other folks and, and the kind of the way she went about it was very similar to how uh, she evangelicalized um, uh, about her. That's that's a it's more than uh, about just religion and is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, and that's where, so actually when talking with all of you before this, um, it's fantastic that, uh, you know, Palmer's um, presentation last week on, uh, you know, the, the, the faults in our thinking um, was just like presciently set up <laughs> for this week. Um, and, you know, and I wanted to steal actually one of his first slides a bit and note how it's like, um, you know, the human brain evolved on the African savanna well enough to allow homo sapiens to survive in that unforgiving environment. But the thinking organ which evolved to forestall death until we could raise offspring is far from perfect. And, you know, he had a lot of other points, highly recommend going through and, and listening to the, watching the whole thing, because it's fantastic. Um, but from that, you know, psychology, human psychology that stems from this, bi you know, biological history is really interested in two things. <laughs> you know, what he notes is perpetuating life through identifying resources uh, based on, and here's the added point here, projected needs. And we can get into that a little more as much as oh. people Oh, wow. You're not even saying needs. You're saying mm. like almost um, what I think I need type of. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. All right. Wow. Is, which is itself based on previous experience. 
So if you want to use a big word, anybody can look it up. It's fantastic. Uh, but it's actually, the theory is referred to as allostasis, um, which is slightly different than homeostasis, uh, which is, um, but that's really what this is, is the idea that our bodies and therefore the minds that stem from it are looking at needs from a position of projection rather than equilibrium. And, and in fact, one of, my, <laughs> one of my favorite examples about this is caffeine, uh, which we all know and love, is about the only existence of which makes me think that a benign being actually does exist. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, caffeine, you know, we take our cup of coffee in the morning, we take our energy drink, and how often, how fast do we feel the hit? Like how fast do we feel, you know, that we're, you know, energized and feeling more alert and so on? You know, a few seconds, a minute. Yeah, it seems like a lot faster than it biologically should be. Exactly, yeah. In fact, it doesn't even hit your system for nine minutes on average. <laughs> it's not even fully metabolized on average for 40 minutes. So the whole like half an hour of feeling buzzed um, that we're in the immediacy effect that we're that we're experiencing has everything to do with the body knowing, you know, in the past when I tasted this, I know that I'm about to get inundated by this fabulous chemical. Therefore, I know that I'm going to have enough energy. Therefore, I can expend it now, knowing that it's going to be, you know, replenished later. I mean, this is fundamentally about wow. addiction, <laughs> um, no. which is a whole other topic, but that's really what it is. I mean, it's, it's our bodies knowing that we can spend now because what I'm getting later is going to fill this back up. And that's really what we're doing most of the, pretty much almost all the time really is figuring out if I do A, it will give me B because I know it'll help me address C in the, in the future. And all of that, again, is based on our previous experience, which goes into a whole host of things from everything from childhood to trauma to, yeah, living in various uh, horrible circumstances or not. I mean, because everybody's doing it, it's just depending on, you know, what our assessment is. It sounds like you're graying the lines of addiction now, too. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> but what, um, yeah, just, I'm actually not, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, uh, just a, a heads up, we will be having an RFRX in uh, November on addiction, bringing back uh, Dr. Andy Thompson uh, to talk about like the evolutionary uh, uh, pathways and, and such of, of addiction too. So that's, I think that it'll be nice to kind of maybe have a play with us of these type of videos all together. Fantastic. Absolutely. Oh, that'd be, all right. I'll have to look ahead of that and make sure I'm free. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, so the second thing that psychology does based on evolutionary biology is that it builds and maintains a structure that makes experience felt as consistent and selects the resources for their importance. And we refer to this as identities. And do, do that, do that again, do that again. <laughs> So it builds and maintains a structure that makes experience felt as one consistent 
and selects those resources from point one for their importance. And so, and this is based, and this is what we refer to as identity. So for instance, seeing a comment about might be a little confusing. So let me, you know, try to be clear. So imagine for a moment that you're trying to figure out what you need for um, uh, your, you know, you're a kid, pre, you know, pre, uh, uh, figuring out what you need for school for the day, for instance. Now, generally speaking, you're going to operate from multiple identities. You're going to operate from the identity of a student. You're going to operate from the identity of a uh, you know, child of a particular parent, so family identity as well. And all of those things are going to set you up to determine, okay, what do I need for the day to make sure I can get through it? And that is going to do everything from determining, like, I need you know, crayons, depending on what level of school you're in, um, to, uh, you know, High school. <laughs> to, you know, notebooks and cell phones, to um, what conversation do I need to have with my parents? Or what conversation am I not having with my parents, depending on what home life you might have? And what do I then need to do for myself? As, say, a, having an identity of a child who um, is, you know, uh, latchkey or, you know, doesn't have a stable home. What do mm, I need okay. to do in order to set myself up okay. through this identity of being a child or an adolescent or whatever to set myself up for the rest of this day? So, and we do this all the time and it would change based on context. So we, we you know, for instance, we enter into, um, you know, we go to school, but then we enter in later on. We're about to go into say sports practice, if we're on a sports team, for instance. Suddenly, we need different resources. We're gonna talk different. We're going to approach people differently. We're literally going to act differently on the court or on the field than what we did during class. Why? Because uh, the identity that we're entering yeah. our resources through has changed. I loved trash talking on the soccer field. This does <laughs> kind of sound like planning, um, though, um, and, and you're kind of breaking down planning a little bit. Like we're projecting ourselves, uh, our future self, and like what do we, what do we need to ensure that? Uh, what do we need to have to ensure that uh, we accomplish what we're trying to go get after? Mm -hmm. Yep. Is that, okay. And, yeah. And so here's the rub, though. How often has any, have any of us thought we were prepared for something and then got into it and went, oh, oh shit. Like, <laughs> um, you know, there was a pop quiz perhaps, <laughs> or- Dude, I did it at the beginning of this RFRX thing. Gail was like, Eric, you need to record. Eric, uh, mute your phone. like, oh crap, I thought I was prepared. I did it at the very beginning of this RFRX. <laughs> And so and, and then it, it happens to varying degrees all the time. I mean, we, we can't, we're not perfect predictors. You know, we're, we, we can't be, you know, we're, we're, there's two, reality's too big for any single brain to figure out. Um, and so, um, so what then what happens is, is depending on how bad our predictions are, uh, will depend on the degree of anxiety we have, which will then get into some people might be following here. 
wanting to figure out how to make things consistent next time. How do we do this generally? Through making things as simple and basic as possible. Enter absolutism through various you know, ideologies of religion, politics, and so on, because I don't need to figure out, say, the nuances of epidemiology and um, social contagion and all of these other things, because I just know that my group said vaccines are a okay. you know tool of the government to control us, or you know I don't need <laughs> to have a vast you know notion of geology and epistemology and uh, physics. I know that the earth is 6,000 years old because the identity of a you know, young earth creationist, I just, this, this makes everything simple for me. This is easy. I can remove everything that's not uh, relevant and focus on the things that allow me to continue making sense of the world. I you see know, what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, this is like going back to those heuristics that uh, Rob was talking about last week. It, kind of reminds me of uh, that episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where they're asking data like how is a computer or an android could you possibly understand what friendship is and he says you know well I've grown accustomed to your sensory inputs (laughs) (laughs) yep yep in fact actually I love that because to a degree he's really not wrong I mean it's (laughs) I mean (laughs) I mean it's it's one of those things where, you know, you get into attachment research and, you know, you get into, you know, certain couples who are, or even just good friends, you know, on the couple spectrum kind of thing. Um, you know, it's like they can eventually finish each other's sentences and know to a degree, like what the other person's feeling or whatever, before they even open their mouth, like they just enter the room and they're like, dude, rough day. Yeah, it sucked. And they haven't said anything. It's just because they have gathered enough previous, to quote data, sensory data, to be able to say, well, wait a minute, in the past, you know, laying on the couch, you know, oh my God, you know, doing this kind of thing was a sign that the day was terrible. And so, you know, it allows us to do that. I mean, if anything, good friendships are... This is totally not romantic. You know, you know it just allowing us a combination of time and, and awareness of collecting data points to go, wow, I just, you know, I can predict you well enough to be able to, you know, converse with you in a more honest and in full, full way. So we're not spending as much time going, no, no, that wasn't right. Here's what I was actually thinking. You know, instead, we can just skip all that and go right to, oh, thank you. Thank you for seeing me. So yeah. data was on to something. <laughs> it was a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so these Not shortcuts uh, are are in a sense to um save uh processing time again. Like um, okay, I learned this, so here's a shortcut to never have that happen again. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's something that's based in reality like that doesn't necessarily mean it's it's correct is that what i'm hearing like there's flaws inherent in some of these shortcuts or all of them 
All of them. Yeah. I mean, you know, Plummer went through it, but, you know, in fact, for that matter, I've talked about it in a previous one. But, you know, the important thing here is, is um, because one, I don't want to necessarily rehash previous RFR talks. Um, so I'm seeing that comment. Um, in, but there is a there is a point here where uh, some of this is about deliberately building on uh, previous knowledge and seeing how it can help us figure out more things and spread this out. So instead of having all of these disparate points of information, we're actually using this to go, okay, wait a minute, maybe I can connect A to B or RFR talk one to RFR talk two and you know and, and, and start coming up with these bigger pictures because the topic for today has been touched on tangentially mm-hmm. in other things and as a consequence um, and to be perfectly honest I did not think I was actually going to go here um, <laughs> so this is kind of just kind of funny um, but it really is that a recognition that we can piece a lot of this kind of collective knowledge together and by doing so allow us to create a bigger whole than just the sum of the parts. You know, we, we can, you know, it's kind of like we can split together say and describe a hurricane by, you know, a speed of uh, wind and water, you know, uh, you know droplets and um, in, in damage and so on. But nobody is going to take you seriously who has lived through a hurricane that goes, you know, I, I understand what a hurricane is because I can give you this, these data points. Nobody's going to take you seriously. They're going to be like, you, you're, you're, you know, move oh. to Florida, buddy. And we'll, we'll let you know exactly what this is really about. And yet at the same time, the person isn't wrong. It's just incomplete at a certain level of, to use a very big phrase these days, lived experience. You know, there, there is a level at which, you know, understanding does include experience so long as we take stock of the fact that it is made up of a lot of different data points, you know, behind us. And it's those data points that we have to be very careful about how we're putting them together. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. So it's like, if you're only relying on that quantitative data-driven approach, you're missing a lot of the, the qualia or the, the mm-hmm. actual uh, qualitative experience of people that, that you can't take away from, you know, an average. And here's the standard deviation in the mean of, of these mm-hmm. points. Yep. Yep. And in fact, that's, I mean, in the, if anybody, I mean, anybody taking a look at uh, media uh, reports of a lot of things is that <laughs> for one, the human brain is really, 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 really terrible at big numbers. Um, we're, we're just, it, we don't, that's why we have math. It's sort of, that's why we can, you know, created computers <laughs> mm-hmm. in order to take over the things that we're terrible at, at least initially. Now we do it because we wanted to take over everything else, but, you know, initially it was created in order to take over the things we're terrible at. And, um, yeah, and very bad at probability, yes. And so, you know, as a consequence, we will see things that are um, empathically relevant, but are empirically false. So, for instance, you know, the, um, 
uh, <laughs> stats, yeah, everybody swears. Stats needs to be a class, a required class in like sophomore year of high school. Like you are not allowed to pass high school without stats. Um, and it is perfectly capable of studying stats without all the rest of the map. Um, and you, you can figure this out. Uh, anyway, uh, plug for stats. Um, but, you know, part of what's going on here is, you know, the heuristics that were referred to as before, you know, confirmation bias, motivator reasoning, these things aren't bad in and of themselves. They are inherent qualities of our brains. <laughs> They're inherent qualities of which we are parsing data around because we can't, we, we cannot, we simply cannot grasp the totality of reality at any given moment. And so as a consequence, we have to pick and choose. Well, how do we pick and choose? And that's where we get back to identities. And that's where we get back to mm. uh, you know, group cohesion. This is where we get back to um, you know, authority. You know, the whole thing of argument from authority can be bad, it can also be good because not all of us are capable of becoming experts on every field out there. So eventually we have to just go, I have these principles and this person tends to generally follow it. So I'm gonna trust this person, like here it is. We have to do it. You know, confirmation bias is legitimate to the degree that allows us to move forward. Um, but in order to make sure that we don't fall down the rabbit holes, uh, we have to be aware of that's what's happening. So that's kind of where we're, where we're currently at. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and it sounds like these are done unconsciously for the most part, mm -hmm. like, and, and we, we're not even aware of, uh, which, which set of heuristics we have, um, and, is, is, it sounds like that's the case, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. And as a consequence, you know, we have these, um, you know, uh, social truths that are uh, helpful <laughs> um, in that process of, of consistency and in, in making things simple, but they're utterly terrible in, you know, understanding and, and acknowledging nuance and having good. Uh, what is referred to as generative dialogue. I love this phrase. Um, and because rather than just regular dialogue, generative dialogue has to do with essentially the process of steel manning. So I know, um, you know, straw manning often comes up. Well, steel manning is, is a kind of rejoinder to that. I forget who coined it. Uh, maybe somebody will know in the chat, I forget. But um, somebody, you know, somebody coined the term and may have been Dennett, Dawkins, I forget, um, but it was, you know, it came out of uh, maybe Bogosian for all I know, um, but it came out of the idea of being able to articulate an alternative perspective in such a way that the other person goes, man, yeah, that is exactly it. That is better than I could have said it. And then of course you come back and go, yeah, and I, I, I don't agree with it. <laughs> you know, so rather than picking the lowest hanging fruit, for instance, of any particular religion, instead we go for the most difficult, well thought out positions and go, if I can understand that and figure out why it's false, then everything else you know, falls you know, uh, from it. And so 
part of these stories okay. is, for instance, um, you know, emotion is divorced from reason. You know, in order, and in fact, in the corollary to that would be, you know, in order to make good decisions, we need to remove emotion from the equation. Um, I'm actually still hearing therapists of all people say that, uh, which just irks me to no end. Uh, but anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, but you know, of course, the reality being is that there is no, <laughs> there is there is no separation between the two. Um, Read Kahneman, um, you know, or you know, part of it is you know, emotion is a window to your true self. Um, you often will hear this. Um, <laughs> you'll actually you'll actually often hear this uh, in variations of. Um, uh, I'm not being a jerk. I'm just being real. Uh, you know, or uh, people can't handle the truths that I'm slinging. You know, kind of thing. I mean, it's just like it's this whole thing of like I, you know. No, you're not being emotionally open. You're just using it as an excuse to say whatever you want. This is not really getting us to the true you. This is a, you know, <laughs> this is a tactic really more than anything else. Um, and yes, from the comment, DBT does teach both. DBT and uh, acceptance commitment therapy. I'll do a plug for both. Um, uh, you'll you'll and, have to... Uh, define or tell us what DBT is because yeah sorry so DBT dialectical behavioral therapy uh okay. Marcia Linehan uh out of uh University of Washington I do believe she's still teaching there uh teaching and I think probably more researching these days than teaching um though I could be wrong <laughs> about that um but uh I, I believe she's still based out of there and a lot of it has to do with that um tension between emotion and reason um and okay. really understanding part. how this works yep yep okay. and um which is also why i tend not to fall completely into it it's a whole other thing um acceptance commitment therapy uh you know stephen hayes uh and others um who uh, basically the idea being that fundamentally we um psychopathology and various difficulties in life are due to avoidance of discomfort and uncertainty and the habits that we create are often then uh, about further and further isolating us from greater and greater pieces of reality and as a consequence uh, we will then exhibit you know avoidance of anxiety uh, avoidance of depression um, as feeling states but as a consequence we tend to exacerbate them through the habits of avoidance and I'm really simplifying. Um, and part of the process then is accepting that this too is part of life. If anybody studied Buddhism, they're seeing some overlapping here. Um, so I uh, highly recommend, um, <laughs> yeah, DMT. Um, and so, you know, a lot of it is, you know, really figuring out that this too will pass, that our thoughts and our emotions are not necessarily uh, intrinsically tied to us. We can literally have thoughts and emotions all day long and still go, eh, move along. <laughs> I'm more than this. Um, and as a quick point, we actually know this at a certain level when we pause and reflect on just how many thoughts we have throughout the day that we don't act on. Mm -hmm. I mean, which is a good <laughs> thing because most of us would be in jail um, to varying degrees. So, you know, we know 
at, at, a, at a almost intuitive level that our thoughts are not synonymous with us. We, we can distance ourselves and go, you know, I'm not gonna follow this one, I'm gonna follow this one. And so part of what's going on then is, um, you know, learning to do that in a more coherent and consistent and broader way uh, so that we can just go, yeah, okay, thanks for showing up, moving along, I'm gonna come up to the next one kind of thing, so. Um, Thank you. Yeah, um, if anybody didn't catch that huge act uh, therapist, uh, it can be crossed with another uh, presentation. But anyway, um, one of the other one of the other uh, false stories is that um, I'm unique in in the way of, in sense, being separate from others. You know, I'm so unique that you cannot um, say take you know statistics or you know other ways of looking at humanity in general and understanding me. I'm just me wrong. <laughs> um, in fact, uh, the sort of these really have to be one of the two, the two biggest falsehoods that people believe is that we're all very, very unique to the point of not being understood by others. And two, here's the last one, um, decisions that I make are mine alone, because I am a fully independent person uh, who gets to choose what variables affect me. No you don't. Um, sorry to burst that bubble, but we really don't. Um, yes. Uh, what? It's, and so I know, shocker. David, uh, we I'm, were biological I'm in this picture and I'm it. feeling attacked here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really, I, I love anybody who, um, uh, what was it? One of the latest things was every time uh, the election season comes up, and you inevitably have, um, uh, you know, the, the amount of money that is being spent on ads and so on. And, you know, you always have the debate that goes on, like, I'm not affected by these ads. And then of course, five minutes later, they're literally quoting from it as if it was their own independent thought. Um, and I mean, <laughs> it's, it's really, this is, this is what we do. Um, advertising wouldn't be such a great thing if it wasn't useful to the degree that it is. Um, and it's perfectly fine. It, you know, it's, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> social media being what it is. Um, and so in all of this, of course, you know, this is stemming from, again, coming back to, we want a world to be consistent. We want things to make sense. And as a consequence, you know, we develop ways of looking that allow us then to join with others that then help make the world make more sense. Because what makes more sense? Being surrounded by alternative perspectives or being surrounded by people who are saying, you know what, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you know what, when I had that experience, I understood you completely and I had the same thing happen to me. I mean, this is why we do it. I mean, so being in an <laughs> echo chamber right feels now? good. <laughs> I mean, for that matter, just to point the finger back at our son, why are we here in this presentation? Why are we here with our heart? Because it feels good to be surrounded by people who come out of experiences going, yeah, that sucked. And being able to reminisce and, you know, share resources and, 
you know, feel that sense of, you know what? Yeah, I was right to leave. I was right to point to how awful this thinking was. So obviously I'm here. <laughs> I agree <laughs> with all of this, but there it is. I mean, that's, you know, that's where, um, if anything, recognizing that, and this is a common refrain that I come back to, is that recognizing this should then, coming back to that great conversations, should allow us to, when conversing with anybody else, note that we're all really <laughs> wanting to create a boat that makes sense, that will, you know, provide this, you know, the means of moving through life and they just the other person ahead of us or in front of us or beside us has created a different one and we can start with that commonality and go from there rather than i don't like your boat <laughs> to possibly bury that metaphor um but yeah so we need a bigger boat that can accommodate we, more oh, people. Oh, we do get a bigger boat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in fact, um, you know, that's where, uh, you know, kind of, but not an arc. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and, uh, and that's where we get to, paying attention a bit to the time. Um, that's where we get into, you know, part of how we deal with these tendencies that we have is um, noting, you know, if we're so, if we're prone to creating what effectively are smaller boats, because the smaller it is, the more coherent it seems and the more consistent the voices are that we hear, then part of combating this or dealing with it is to, yeah, one, possibly leave the small one we're on, or, you know, spend some time in other ones or, you know, work at building a bigger one so that we are engaged in that constant practice of, I don't know. Just being able to say that phrase, you know, it's one of the most powerful, was it, mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, Annika Harris, uh, you know, is big on saying that, I you know, um, uh, you know, uh, Dawkins, you know, said it, many others, you know, it's like one of the most powerful things to say for one's freedom is to be able to sit there and go, I don't know, and be okay with that. And it's kind of would the way you're kind of describing it, like if you are a part of a small group and then you uh, leave that group temporarily and, and join a larger group, let's say a, a kid in church um, going off to college uh, mm -hmm. in either another state um, uh, I can I can kind of see how well that fits into what you're describing here like all of a sudden you're exposed you're out of that echo chamber and you're exposed to so many more different ideas um, and ways of doing things uh, than you would ever have been exposed to in a small uh, group of like-minded folks yep absolutely in fact it's a practice that one I try, uh, and, and it comes and goes <laughs> in waves of engaging with, um, but you know, but deliberately engaging with alternative perspectives. You know, picking up a book or an article from somebody that I know I am not going to agree with, and 
doing so from the perspective of, man, I am, I am going to find something in here that I actually do agree with because it is, I, I try to never say never about anything, but, <laughs> but it is, it's pretty darn rare to encounter anybody or any position that is wrong about every last minute point that they're making. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's high, it's just, it's light. It's a highly unlikely. Um, and so part of them figuring out is, is going, you know, uh, why <laughs> one beginning from the consistency model, of knowing here's somebody else in front of me, myself included, who is wanting to make sense of the world. And, you know, here, you know, and this is their, their path of doing it. So we can start from that common, you know, humanity perspective and then go, and what are they wanting to address? You know, what are they, you know, uh, you know, wanting to see done and change in the world that allows them to, you know, feel better about it. You know, even the, you know, flat out full crazy pizza gate, you know, conspiracy muggers. I mean, <laughs> they're at, even if you have to go to the point of, well, they're right about the fact that there was pizza. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> even if you gate. have to go <laughs> all the way down to, you know, food exists. You know, you know, it's often not just that, but still, you know, they're 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 wanting to, you know, they're piecing things together and wanting to make sense of things, and sometimes it's making sense in the same way as clouds in the sky are not actually chickens and cows and other shapes; they're just clouds. Um, but we sure as hell saw it, um, or Jesus on toast. Uh, no, it's just variations of, you know, browning. Um, you know, it's just, it, sometimes it's just that, but it's still then coming back to, wow, I really like toast. Or, you know, aren't those clouds amazing? Um, it is, it's incredible that we can create these, you know, images out of them. And maybe we can talk about, you know, that process instead of necessarily the conclusions that we've gotten to. Um, yeah. Kind of what yeah. you're describing is describes the path that I took from um, uh, believing in supernatural into where I am now as a like a, this is just us. I'm I'm an, an atheist now. Like I was hardcore religion, and when I lost that and left that, um, went to uh, uh, conspiracy theories, and those started to totally make sense. And then um, for whatever reason, I getting outside of my echo chamber and listening to some other folks and they started to make more sense and, and I was able to get out of the conspiracy type of uh, mm -hmm. thinking and into a more skeptical view of, of the world not cynical yep. skeptical <laughs> yeah. what was it uh, skeptical is just a, a cynic that hasn't lived long enough um, <laughs> but uh, not sure who said it. I may have just made it up, but I'm not sure. Um, it's, we'll quote it uh, next week, and we'll attribute we'll, we'll it. We'll quote you. it next week, and then it'll be it'll be priceless. That's yeah. The, yeah. Uh, That's gonna be the TikTok <laughs> uh, clip right there. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, and in fact, actually, that that process was mine as well. You know, it was 
I'd been raised with apologetical literature, you know, evidence that demands a verdict. Um, you know, Norman Geisler, you know, it's just like all of these people. So what I was being told was, here is what other people are thinking. And you don't have to go to the source. Just trust me, I will let you know what the other side is thinking. And, you're like, and eventually it was, uh, you know, maybe I should spend a little time actually reading some of these other, you know, perspectives. And it was all downhill from there. You know, I mean, it's just because you start going, well, wait a minute. That's not what they're saying. And, and what they're saying is so obvious. Why, or at least, you know, to, you know, when you read it, like, why is this not being seen this way? And either one, it's deliberately false or two, and sometimes it is, uh, but often I tend to lean towards the ideological structure was not allowing the person to view it accurately. Mm -hmm. And that's when we get back to eh, identities again. You know, there, it becomes increasingly difficult to see other people in their wholeness, in their authentic, you know, authenticity, when we're deliberately seeing them through the eyes of a particular label, um, particularly when that is narrower and narrower and narrower. And that's both in projecting and our own processing. And we can't necessarily get out of it. I mean, um, so, you know, a few of the things to move through it is that bigger boat thing. You know, it's deliberately diffusing or, or, or broadening out how we see ourselves. I am not just, you know, a male. I'm not just, you know, a you know, uh, 40-something year old, I'm not just a, a, a son, I'm not um, just a, an atheist. Uh, in fact, often I don't even use the term anymore. Um, you know, I'm not just, you know, whatever you want to do it, I'm all of these things and a whole bunch of others that I probably haven't even come up with yet. You know, <laughs> you know, it's all of those things and how do they all work together? And sometimes they might even contradict one another. Maybe, maybe they don't like one another. You know, it's like, maybe this doesn't work. If I were to act purely on this, how would it get in the way of this other thing that I want? You know, now we get into, I want to act, you know, I'm fiercely independent. You know, I want to have my own thinking, but I'm really drawn to this, you know, way of thinking. And I'm really drawn to these people over here. Shoot. Maybe I do need to kind of figure out how this works together, you know, kind of thing, you know. So, you know, it's having that deliberate process of kind of going, right, I am more than any one thing. And then engaging in all of those multiple perspectives, both the ones that we can take, but then the ones that are being shown to us. And now this doesn't mean watching Fox News eight hours a day, um, talk about low-hanging fruit. I mean, actually engaging with, you know, well thought out individuals who are not on um, Brett Bart. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, but you know, others that may be on the, in fact, one way that I've looked at is, um, is looking at um, uh, <laughs> people who 
refer to themselves with one label that I generally don't agree with, but other people with the same label hate them. Fantastic way of going, wow, that's somebody I might be able to pay attention you know, to. <laughs> you know, it's um, in fact, uh, uh, one conservative, and, and I am not, um, but one conservative that I actually love listening, you know, uh, reading is Tom Holmes. I don't agree. And he, if I remember right, he's, I think, a Catholic. Um, and, and, you know, and goes through it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't agree. I, I don't think this is legit. But man, do a lot of conservatives hate him. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, yeah, George Will uh, from comments, um, you know, was it uh, Francis Fukuyama, um, you know, very much uh, religious adherent, but man, he's got some really interesting things to say about say identity uh, from the book of that title. You know, it's like you start looking for the people that are still holding on to uh, a particular way of uh, seeing themselves, but the general audience really doesn't like them. You're going, okay, so they're still trying to figure this stuff out. And so um, the, the person named Tom Holmes, he, he wrote a book uh, um, about uh, the war against uh, experts uh, is what he, I don't think that was the title. Um, I'll have to look it up. But, uh, but he, he really is, he's got a recent one on about how the, um, the uh, uh, how we've exalted individual experience is actually undermining democracy is basically his premise. So we've, we've gotten so used to screaming about the one person that gets us all wild up <laughs> that we're forgetting that we're actually uh, in a country together um, yeah. and need to actually dialogue. So, yeah. Yeah, Chris yeah. Wallace is another one. That makes Sorry, a lot Chris. of sense. It's almost like you're saying that people will get so stuck in a, such a narrow mindset or, or paradigm almost that, that it distorts their ability to see what other people are even saying uh, mm-hmm. and like okay to to belabor the the boat metaphor even further <laughs> possibly past its utility <laughs> we've told we we've sunk that boat we, yeah. we've told this us, yeah. boat this boat metaphor is rudderly just uh just is it crazy. rudderly rudderly <laughs> ridiculous ridiculous yeah so if we if we get on a big enough boat then we're, we're able to expand <clears throat> our paradigm to the point that we realize sharks aren't even actually dangerous predators but species that need conservation and and we can coexist with them yeah I mean, we, we, we might actually recognize that hippos kill more people than sharks do um, in a year. It's, yeah, but you're not going to find Hippo Week on the Nature Channel. Yeah. No. Yeah. I would watch that every year. Hippo yes. Week. Oh, my gosh. Could it be Hungry Hippo Week? <laughs> Man, I love that game as a kid. That's oh. great. Yeah. Before we go. Completely I know we were um, totally yeah. Sorry, that was my fault. <laughs> it's okay. So it's, it um, sounds like we we nowadays our our echo chambers are getting smaller and smaller and smaller until almost it's just uh, we're left alone or, or there's just maybe a handful of people that kind of just think really similar to us and we're encouraged to be around them. Um, but it's just incredibly small and a shit ton of these tiny groups. 
Well, and in fact, um, actually, I wrote a, uh, a blog entry a while ago about the, uh, you know, the technological expansion of ego, you know, is basically this, you know, ability for us to find, you know, uh, chat groups that um, I grew up in the space of Tom and MySpace. Um, but, you know, these, you know, smaller and smaller groups that you could just create ad hoc mm -hmm. and make sure that the only people that were allowed in were the people that were still going to do, you know, say yes. And, you know, <laughs> you know, there, there's the old thing about, you know, a, uh, the, the sweetest thing we like hearing is, is the sound of our name, you know, kind of thing. And honestly, I would, ex frankly, I would expand that to, we love hearing affirmations. I mean, this, <laughs> this oh, is David, why. You're absolutely right. I love that you're saying this. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, and I mean, this is why they're so, well, one, there's, it's why they're so helpful. You know, I'm not saying affirmations are terrible. Right. Um, it's just that when they're used in a particular way and that's all that we're, you know, experiencing going forward, it's a problem, you know, it's, you know, it's, um, uh, was it uh, Barbara Ehrenreich uh, uh, who, um, who, uh, uh, you know, went, um, was it the myth of positive, or was it po how positive thinking has ruined America, basically, it's not the title of the book, but it's similar, fantastic book, um, highly recommend if anybody wants to read the history of how uh, the kind of uh, positive thinking movement and the name it, claim it, uh, you know, uh, philosophy, all of that um, from the early 40s onward. Uh, it's just great to see how it permeates so much of American culture. It's astounding. Um, but really the, the whole thing of, of I need to be right. I need to surround myself with people who are also saying I'm right. Uh, to the extension of don't share with me um, books or contrary opinions because, you know, that's messing with my, you know, equilibrium here and that's, you know, a problem. It's like, no, <laughs> Con contrary <laughs> to the coddling, we actually, it is a good thing to feel a little, <clears throat> um, now I want to go back to the boat metaphor. Um, <laughs> um, but I'm we getting really, the sinking feeling that you're going to do it anyways. <laughs> yeah. And, in, in, you know, and to end, like I said, you know, from what I said at the very beginning, um, all of this is to recognize that what we're fundamentally doing at a, you know, at the psychological level is that we're not striving for truth. That's an aspiration. You know, we, we can totally, we, we, we have to, we have to actively, you know, do the science, you know, to quote, totally going to quote Ayn Rand. Um, you know, rationality <laughs> is a, Ooh. is a practice. It's something that is a, uh, almost a, a, uh, a gym activity. It's something that we have, it's a muscle that we have to actively engage with because our natural proclivity is to go the path of least resistance. And that was not a direct quote. Um, but, you know, as a recognition that, you know, our innate striving is not for truth. It's well, how does this contribute to the consistent story I have of how the world works, period. And 
you know, and if it's as soon as we start really living every moment from recognizing how this works, uh, we can really start being able to sit back and go, all right, maybe I won't get sucked into this as much, or maybe I won't, you know, to go all the way back to, you know, the original story, basically just, you know, find a new uh, form of salvation to proselytize. Instead, I can take a look around and enjoy the fact that there are so many different ways of seeing the world. I, I feel that it's comfortable kind of living with these shortcuts and it's difficult to go outside of it because it's scary. And you um, wouldn't want to rock the boat. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, you guys better stop this or else. <laughs> we're we're going to keep going as long as you want. Uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> in how, how, what, like, what assurances could we have that it's better on the other side? That I, I don't know. That maybe assurances isn't the right word, but why would we kind of want to step out of this uh, and and um, be okay with uh, the, the the not the black and white life anymore? So the nice thing here is is that you know uncertainty. And multiple perspectives yes, that's it. allows that's it. us it. flexibility. I mean, it's when we're faced with a difficult situation, the last thing that we actually want is only one way of dealing with it. You know, this is the old, like, if the only tool oh. you have is a hammer, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. It's like, yeah, we, you know, the, the, the opposite side of the coin or however you want to put it, like, the uncertainty breeds flexibility because it's a reminder that there are other ways of being, thinking, and reacting. And even if we disagree, like we can wholeheartedly <laughs> disagree with how somebody else handled it. But if we take the time to understand why they did it, that how what they were trying to achieve it is going to inevitably spark a way of, and this is just how brains work. <laughs> we are constantly learning all the time. Yeah. And the more information we take in, the more alternatives we take time to kind of go, okay, the more information the brain be able to, is able to create new ways of putting the data points together and forming new relationships, which then allows us to have new emotional experiences and new ways of talking with one another, which then allows us to create everything from skyscrapers to pyramids yeah. to the iPhone. I am kind of relating this to my own construction background and I'm thinking mm -hmm. like, um, if I had kept doing the, the same thing I did when I first started out, I'd be a shitty, shitty contractor. Um, but over the years, I've learned new tricks of the trade. I've learned new methods of how to do things. And mm -hmm. I've gained uh, a lot of cool tools that enabled me to do 
even more and more um, uh, variety of, of things that I couldn't have even imagined when I first started off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I can see that now. Yeah. And I made a ton of mistakes uh, along the way too, uh, and, and learned from um, those mistakes uh, in my own methodology, my own thinking, mm-hmm. um, and became better for it too. Man, that, but Absolutely. It, it's, yeah, that's, that's cool. Okay. I like the flip side of the coin because the, the first uh, reaction is fear. Yeah. <laughs> Stepping outside oh, the comfort zone and, yeah. and it's fear. And, and I love seeing the other side of the coin. Yeah. And that's, and, you know, you know in, in one sense, I love fear because fear is a recognition that the world isn't operating the way that we want or expect it. Oh. I mean, it, it Yes, The Gift of Fear, fantastic book. Also, The Science of Fear is a great way of, you, you, yeah, you read both of those, fantastic. Yeah, in fact, Science of Fear has one of my best, or <laughs> rather favorite examples of um, inflexibility and in thinking. And in that, you know, they, they, after the 9-11 attacks, they crunched the numbers as to, because um, we can pretty much predict within, you know, a certain percentage, how many people per year are going to die, for instance, in car wrecks and so on. And Or by coconuts um, or sharks or hippos. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and so they, they crunched the numbers as to how many people, because so many people avoided planes in the year after 9-11, um, and how many more people then died that next year in car accidents that otherwise would not have died had they, you know, gone on planes. Because in order to to hit the same number of like aggregate numbers of car wrecks, like a plane would have to be falling from the sky like every like five minutes. I mean, it's it's insane um, how many wow. plane crashes would actually have to occur to get the same you know, um, ratio of numbers uh, of what occurs then in, in, in cars. And they basically, the, so the first intro chapter is like, 5,236 or something like that. I forget the exact number, but it's thousands. And it's literally and what, that, it's what, that number of people extra who died in the year after 9-11 because the number went right back down to the norm after, uh, a year later when people went back to um, uh, doing uh, traveling by planes. And it's like, you know, <laughs> here we have, you know, just like literally thousands of people who... Yeah, due to various heuristics and ways of you know looking at things, didn't need to, but did, um, and as consequence, you know, died. So, yeah. And what book is this that you're referencing? Uh, this is uh, the Science of Fear by uh, Daniel Gardner. I have a library here. All right. Uh, so we are, uh, we're a little over an hour in. Um, what, what next do you, we have to talk about on this topic? Uh, this has been, this has been pretty darn good so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm talking to you, David. <laughs> I mean, oh, unless sorry, you like, want me to talk about boats again and <laughs> fill up some, some space with some volume we can totally buy, uh, do more boats 
Um, <laughs> we'll say um, one of the one of the points that missed here is that um, moving away from you know absolutism, which I want to want to come back to for a moment because you know it could be construed that you know going well if you continue to go down this path of finding absolutist things you know post-religion like you're a bad person uh, that's not what i'm saying um it's really a recognition that this is a tendency that we have and and it's reasonable <laughs> to a degree because we want things to make sense and nothing makes more easy quick sense than a fundamentalist ideology and your you know some equivalency and one of the ways of moving away from that really is a fuller appreciation actually of morality of ethics and there's um one of the one of the books i recommend over and over and over again um, I think I actually put it in resources um, here is um, uh, Morality for Humans, Ethical Understanding from the Perspective of Cognitive Science by Mark Johnson. Um, but he, he notes how moral deliberation at its best is a process of reconstructing our experience in a way that resolves the morally problematic situation that is currently confronting us. Such a process involves the only reasonable notion of transcendence available to humans, namely the ability to move beyond our current habits of thought and action to creatively remake some aspect of ourselves and our world. There is nothing about such a process that takes us out of our skins as if we were somehow little gods capable of generating moral absolutes. Instead, imaginative moral deliberation is embedded, embodied, and enacted within our changing malleable experience. And it's really, uh, the title of that fear book was The Science of Fear by Daniel Gardner, uh, G-A-R-D-N-E-R. Um, but so Johnson's thing here, really, the book is a massive argument against absolutist morality, against, uh, you know, uh, just fundamentalism as, as a way of looking at relationships and our way of interacting with one another, which is another way of saying ethics, really. Mm -hmm. Ethics really is just how we interact with one another. Um, and, uh, and his whole thing is, is that while fundamentalism and, and absolutism is a is a seemingly innate tendency for us, it actually uh, <laughs> denies fundamental parts of who we are as biological, you know, embodied creatures. That it denies the fact that every moment of every day we are going through change, and an ethic that doesn't allow for a contextual understanding that doesn't allow for added information is an ethic that will lead only to stagnation and really ultimately violence. Because when you're faced with, you know, you know reality doesn't care. <laughs> reality doesn't care what we think, it's gonna keep doing its thing. And so when faced with the inevitability of us being wrong, we only have a couple of options. One is to avoid, 
uh, put our heads in the sand of some kind, or two, get extraordinarily violent and try to force some part of the world to obey uh, our vision of it. And that is just highly unhelpful, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um, it's wow. Not, I yeah. hadn't tied violence to this type of conversation or thinking before. And um, uh, reality, like what's been going on <laughs> just amongst humans these last few years has somewhat snapped into focus now that you've made that connection. Mm -hmm. I, I would put, <laughs> you know, it, so much of political discourse, so much of what's going on throughout is really a variation on the world must and only must look this particular way through the lens of a particular you know, identity. And therefore anything that doesn't fit must be either denied or destroyed. And so you get oh, into... And this is where we this is where we get into well you did one thing wrong back you know ten years ago and now therefore I must destroy everything you know um, actually <laughs> I caught flack years ago for um, uh, liking uh, a Dilbert you know uh, uh, cartoon um, it was a comic you know comic strip and because you know the the guy who you know creates Dilbert is to put it lightly, um, <laughs> a huge uh, conspiracy-mongering, you know, Trump fan, and um, and but I long loved his, you know, the Dilbert cartoons before that ever really came to light, and certainly I didn't, didn't know until I was like, oh right, this guy, oh yeah, no, I really disagree fundamentally <laughs> with, with <laughs> this, and yet at the same time, I can fully appreciate the absolute hilarity of the mockery of the office, uh, you know, environment um, that particularly at the time that I was part of. And, and it was really that, I mean, this was years ago and it's still very clear because it's a, for me, a crystal, you know, example of a person can be utterly awful and wrong in one area and still provide an amazing um, contribution in another. And the ability to be able to hold those intention is, I think, um, and perhaps I'm being Pollyannish, but you know, it's, it, but that being able to hold that tension really is fundamental to good dialogue, which is fundamental to good democracy, which is fundamental then to creating a world in which we can all have a whole lot of various expressions of who we are and have it be okay. Like it's, you know, ultimately it's really what we want. The thing that triggered for me when you said the word destroyed, like um, it, either, it, has to, it either has to be uh, like assimilate or, or destroy. Um, the thing that immediately came up for me was like hell. Hell seems to be the solution mm -hmm. to the people who mm -hmm. don't agree with with the group that I'm in. And so mm -hmm. if I can send everyone else who doesn't agree with me to a place where they can be 
destroyed and apart from from uh, my my group uh, that that'll be good uh, mm-hmm. so that's that was that's oh, that's cool another connection i guess that <laughs> thanks no that's in fact i mean what was it uh um was it uh, i forget the philosopher but he was talking about how you know when faced with the poor arguments for god's existence and you know he's going well sir you're going to go to hell and he's like i would rather go to and be damned for questioning than be celebrated for not mm-hmm. and any deity worth worshiping is going to be the one that said wow <laughs> you didn't agree with me but you tried and you asked and you delved into as many questions as possible Whew, that's great you know the, the the deity that says i would much rather your acquiescence than your than your mind is not one worth uh, following, and um, I'm completely butchering any number probably of, of quotes here, but um, but that's fundamentally really what it's what it comes down to. And anybody who follows in that, who says, you know, I would rather your um, uh, allegiance, I would rather your affirmation, I would rather your um, agreement than your thoughtful questioning is not somebody that I really am going to spend too much time with. Um, certainly not in the sense of, you know, uh, following whatever they're, they're doing. Um, I might have a great conversation over beers, but yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Anything else in your outline? I I always keep going but Uh, (laughs) it's a pretty good note yeah this was great this was really fantastic I'm grateful for the connections that were made and and, kind of like a deeper look into how I operate on a regular basis and that provides I can see this going to provide me some motivation to be okay with being wrong and to be okay with being questioned um, uh and even that in the whole fear is uh, identifying how um, uh, my expectations aren't being met or something like that. And these are some fantastic tools. I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, in fact, so one, one point just from that, you know, it's one of the things I work with a lot of clients on is that anytime you're having an emotional reaction to first ask, what is the value that is being either supported or violated? You know, don't, don't get stuck in, you know, the behavior that's right in front of you. You know, this isn't dismissing it. There's awful things. It's not that at all. But instead it's going, my, my emotional reaction is, is letting me know that something important here is, has been either supported, this is why I'm feeling you know, joy or any number of other things, and or something I really care about is being violated through a particular action. But what I need to do in order to assess this better, in order to figure out how I can react to this in a non-automatic way, is to get down to what is the value that is so important to me 
that it has triggered such a visceral response. And once we figure that out, once we take the time to go, oh, I really care about family. I really care about integrity. I really care about honesty. I care about, you know, questioning and, you know, social, you know, community. That's why this thing over here is ticking me off so much. We can take the time to go, okay, well, how do I want to respond based on that? Rather than spending our time, you know, often wasted attacking the action itself because it's already been done. And, you know, there's only so much we can do. Again, caveat, ignoring actions and not letting people get away with us. It's just, it's, it's just that initial step of being able to reflect ourselves so we can gain that flexibility of being able to react in broader and broader ways so we can figure out new ways of being. Yeah, I really like that. It's it's really kind of going back to that kind of fundamental principle of, you know, dealing with people before positions, um, if mm-hmm. you're actually going to resolve a conflict or a disagreement. It's like, mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying. You're, you're wasting your time going after, well, you did this little, you did X, and I think you should have done Y. Yeah, but but why? You know, yeah. What's, yeah, what's the real value that's at stake here? That, that's really cool. David, thank you so much. This was one whole of a discussion. I really, really appreciate it. That was a boat reference if you guys missed it. But, uh, Thanks for keeping <laughs> us afloat, Eric. <laughs> um, folks, if you I have any questions. With you, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> folks, if you have any questions, please type them into the chat. Um, uh, I'm going to go ahead and drop uh, the resource list that um, he has provided along with links to uh, kind of check out those resources as well. Um, Kara, do you have any thoughts or questions that you wanted to um, bring up while I do this? You know, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you're asking me to go on a fishing expedition for, for questions in <laughs> the chat. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> you really shouldn't oh, have handed man. me the mic. <laughs> No, okay, sorry, for real though. Um, Yeah, this has actually been really uh, great. And we've answered, I think, most of the questions in the chat as they've come up, which is a really cool way to do this. I enjoy that. Um, But yeah, I guess, I mean, if I had any kind of closing questions, it would be, how do you, in your daily life, uh, David, how do you kind of check in with yourself and make sure that you are uh, following these principles um, and not getting stuck in an echo chamber, for example, or, or, you know, how do you make sure that you're, you're getting into those, those other boats? Is there a way that you can kind of catch yourself if you fall into these oh thinking God. traps? <laughs> um, so I will, I will note that uh, I, I fall into them. So it is, this is not about like I've mastered this, this not at all. Um, so that being said, I am reminded of, in fact, it's one of the books um, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, the being wrong, um, I don't know if it was put on the list, but it's called Being Wrong Adventures on the Margin of Error by Katherine Schultz. And she, <laughs> she has this thing where she's going, she asked the question, what does it feel like 
to be wrong? Mm -hmm. And the answer is kind of like being right because we feel right about identifying that we were wrong. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, so like take that and put it into practice of going like, um, anytime that I <laughs> spend any length of time going, hmm, I'm feeling really right. Like I'm feeling like I haven't felt uncertain or, you know, I haven't been kind of knocked back a little bit or unmoored. Um, you know, you have, anytime I've felt like that there's been something that wasn't questioned, I'm like, wait, I need to go find something here because I'm likely missing something. In fact, I'm sure of it. Like, it, it there, there's something that I missed uh, and now I need to figure out what it was. And so it's, it really is that kind of constant reflective practice to get into the habit of, um, you know, meditation honestly helps, uh, you know, um, and by meditation, I actually do mean more, uh, you know, the, the breathing, everything else is great, um, but I'm actually meaning more meditation is almost conscious reflection on what it means to be conscious and have that experience. Um, so a, a bit more of a, uh, from a neurological perspective, you know, recognizing, for instance, that literally everything that pops up is a moment in consciousness. And so as such, then there is nothing that we're experiencing that isn't <laughs> in it. Um, and so going, well, wait a minute, if everything is, then both truth and falsity are. And how do I tell the difference if it's all experientially going along in the same you know, the space. Well, then uh, I need to learn how to separate from, you know, the fact, you know, the idea of, of thoughts are always accurate, you know, that emotions are leading to a particular truth that, you know, that my mind is on the pursuit of truth. Again, that, you know, coming back, back to that point, like my goal here is not at a, at a, at a fundamental level, it's not about truth. It's about consistency. And so I need to remind myself and then go, okay, well then what was the last time that I felt off? When was the last time that I felt inconsistent? And then question it, see what, see what's at the, the heart of it. Mm, so you're, you're basically always questioning. If you're at a point where you're feeling too confident, that's, that's a signal that yeah. you might want to reevaluate, you know, before Pretty you much. crash onto the rocks. <laughs> So it sounds like you've identified two extremes, uh, two different points to identify where, uh, when you might be coming up against um, uh, a heuristic, I guess, is either you're feeling too confident or you're starting to fear and get emotionally out of whack. Um, mm -hmm. Would that be a good, would, like, would that be good indicators that yeah. <laughs> you're running up against no. a wall? Really, and what's funny there is that most of most of our experiences. Oh, are, I can't take these boat puns anymore. <laughs> I fucking love them. <laughs> I, I'm so sorry, David. I will re-ask that question because these these fantastic fuckers in the chat are doing just an awesome job with the goddamn puns. Uh, <laughs> so good. I, my my favorite really had to be Eric is a good buoy. Uh, 
Um, boy, yeah, that's so that was, that was pretty good. That was that was awesome. <laughs> uh, all right. To your question. <laughs> this is going YouTube, uh, off the video. rails. Uh, awesome. Luckily, I get to cut all this out. <laughs> Don't you dare. Yeah. <laughs> just, Atheists can't have Lord. fun. Come on. This is, I know. This is good. <laughs> no, and you're, you're, you are right. It's, I mean, it, there is that anytime we're feeling where uh, too calm, too safe, it is a sign that we probably are, you know, missing something or we haven't questioned enough. And at the same time, if we're feeling emotionally, you know, disjointed and and almost um, malignantly uncertain, there's also a point. You know, like, you know, to think that everything is going to be great is equally as ridiculous as everything is going to be awful. <laughs> they're both just they're both okay. the different manifestations of the same absolutist principle and so you know it's you know the 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 uh you know you know the crazy positivist you know the 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 name it claim it is just as unhelpful as the cynic who says everything is awful and uh, everybody's out for number one. I mean, it's just, it's just not, neither position is true. And so when we find ourselves, uh, in fact, Daniel Siegel uh, talks about this in, in, um, in how he refers to the tension between uh, rigidity and chaos. And we want to figure out how to navigate the middle ground there of flexibility. Uh, Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L. Um, uh, and someone in the chat made another damn ocean pun. <laughs> it was. God. I refused to acknowledge it. I just I'm like, no. Uh, uh. <laughs> this one RFRX video is going to be the albatross around my neck. I tell you what, it's. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, thankfully, I didn't sign up to be a mariner. <clears throat> <laughs> Oh man, David, thank you so much for coming and talking. You're welcome. This was fun. <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, Kara, do you have anything uh, you wanted to add before we kind of uh, move on? Are, are you just, really sure you want to ask me that question, Eric? <laughs> I know, right? I, I, I really would like to disembark, but this just... <laughs> just we're going to be tied up in knots just, all night. God. Somebody throw me a line for crying out loud. <laughs> uh, David. Yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and move on to the conclusion. But before we do, is there anything you want to kind of wrap up with or anything you haven't said? Um <laughs> I just I... Such a... <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. I, I think, yeah. <laughs> Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope, healing, and support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering from Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. 
Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering from Religion website. It's also a big help subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering from Religion podcast. You know what it's like to journey out of a once-cherished belief. Maybe you were devoutly religious, escaped a cult, or perhaps you simply navigated out of some very difficult days. And now you'd like to help someone else do the same. Recovering from Religion is a wonderful support organization for people who feel confused, troubled, and alone as they come to grips with the possibility that they no longer hold a religious belief or that they risk losing everything if they're honest with themselves and others about their journeys. These people need our help, and Recovering from Religion needs yours. RFR is seeking volunteers. Perhaps you're formerly religious, or you have a specific skill set like speaking a foreign language. Maybe you're just a good listening ear. The RFR Volunteer Training Program will help you translate those abilities into critical assistance, encouragement, and support for the men, women, and youth who contact RFR every day from all over the world. You can relate. You can understand. And you can make their journeys easier. Join the team at Recovering From Religion and remind someone else that they are not alone and someone is here to help. To find out more, click the Volunteer tab at recoveringfromreligion.org.